Hi, my name is Michael Snyder. My PSN is Chimeric Notion. My friends have taken a liking to calling me Chim. Today is July 31st, and the only reason that I'm dating this is because it's an important date for the Destiny community. This is the date of the breakaway, and whether that means nothing to you or everything to you, let's reflect on what it means to press forward. Welcome to a podcast about light. The breakaway is an informal term that I've been using to describe the data migration of our Destiny 1 characters to Destiny 2. And this is occurring tomorrow on August 1st, or maybe today, or maybe way in the distant past if you're listening via the episode. Uh, Bungie announced this a while back that any Guardian who had reached level 20 and completed the last vanilla Destiny story mission, the Black Garden, would automatically get ported from Destiny 1 to Destiny 2. Any character who didn't meet these requirements would be lost to the dark corners of time. Any characters created afterwards would also miss their proverbial dropship. Uh, This breakaway also coincides with the last day that players could complete the Age of Triumphs the last record book introduced in Destiny Year 3, and the sort of like going away present to the Destiny community that sort of celebrated all of the different achievements in the Destiny 1 lifespan. From a server-side perspective, you can see the clear reasoning behind these decisions. Importing every single Guardian from Destiny 1 would be a massive undertaking. There needs to be some type of filter to reduce the load. Characters that didn't make it to max level in vanilla and didn't complete the story are logical enough to ditch. There's a lack of investment with those characters, and for the characters that stymied between levels 20 and 40, there's still a chance that those players will come back, especially with the quality of life changes and promises in Destiny 2. The stopping of the Age of Triumph tracking means that less data will need to be stored elsewhere and reduce the number of background processes presumably going on to keep everything updated. And the migration of however much data will not likely take the entire month thanks to technology, but it's still a lot of data. There's over like 9.7 million track audience between PS4 and Xbox, and yes, that, that's a rough number, and no, I'm not including things like the PS3 and PS4 players who haven't been uh, current for about a year, but you can only imagine that there will be a ton of integrity checks and validation done to make sure that everything evens out to a fairly seamless transition. From a lore perspective, well, I don't have as many justifications why the Black Garden is the one mission that matters the most, but from a gameplay perspective, it does make sense why we'd start there. 20 is a nice round number, and matches will be started with playing the beta, and being that far in vanilla means that a player would have at least had access to the bare bones of their starting subclass. It's a neutral starting point. A necessary one.
if I had to map out the first hours of Destiny 2, it would be as follows. There would be an opening cinematic of a parade in the last city. Uh, we, the guardians that everyone keeps talking about, would get invited to some special place outside of the city and we would be introduced to a tutorial of some sorts. For newer players, this would teach all of the game mechanics and the enfranchised members would pretty much just learn how to use the new class skills. We then would get back into the homecoming mission that opened up the beta and we would be at level 20 with probably the original subclasses from Destiny 1. Um, for those of you unaware, this would be the Striker Titan, the Voidwalker Warlock, and the Gunslinger Hunter. And after running through that mission, we probably lose our lights. And by probably, I mean definitely. It's been a key spoiler for pretty much any media and advertisement you've seen so far. So. The lead-up debatable, that actual occurrence not so much. Um, if I had to guess, the next mission would be a slow march through the ru ruins of the tower, and we would somehow find our ghost and dredge our way up to the Iron Peak, probably the closest thing to us. And from the Iron Peak, after we get our crypto, we would likely press forward to the European Dead Zone, we would revitalize our ghost from the light of the Shroud of the Traveler that hasn't been blocked away by the ball and the weird six-prong shield thing on the rest of the Traveler. And we'll likely start out Destiny 2 proper from level 1 with our new subclasses, the Sentinel Titan, the Dawnblade Warlock, and the Arc Strider Hunter. He wanted to call it an arc staff, but that's the name of the super, not the um, subclass. And from there, we probably venture forth and rescue people from various places, reunite all of our great heroes. Shax is probably one of the earlier ones, so we can unlock Crucible earlier rather than later, but again, I don't actually know if any of this unfolds. These aren't actually spoilers, these are just rampant speculations. Only Bungie knows how this story would go. But there is something to be said about this theme of starting fresh after loss. There is something appealing about reforging ourselves and rediscovering what makes us who we are. Not letting the past define us, but not forgetting it either. Not letting the future paralyze us, but not venturing forth with blatant disregard. phrase that I've used to describe myself is non-present centric. If you can visualize a timeline with the present at the dead center of this infinite line, just sort of draw a circle around here. And then everything around that, the past on the left, the future on the right, if you shade that all a unified color and leave the circle blank, the color is where my cognition typically lies. Um, it's in the processing of past events in preparation of future occurrences. I've never been one to really live in the moment per se. I've always lived in the calculation of trajectories and projections. And when something happens in the present, when something forces the present to be 
everything to get all of my attention and focus, it, it makes me tense in a lot of different ways. It's kind of like sensory overload in that it usually is sensory overload. There's just a lot of information that's being presented that I feel compelled to try to understand immediately and unpack and parse and make sense of and that's that's not necessarily the best way to go through through life. Um, yeah, if you've ever tried paying attention to literally every single detail that's happened in the last minute, and then using all of that information to predict the next minute, it's it's kind of exhausting, honestly. Um, and I've gotten better at not overalizing anything and letting things happen to me. Um, but it's also my default not to be in those situations. But I, I definitely think that I'm less non-present-centric than I used to be. Although I still feel like I think nostalgia is a powerful thing. And I think nostalgia helps us realize what we want in the future. Memory and cognition is weird like that. And it's weird thinking about how I've coped through traumatic and dramatic events before with this mindset in mind, with this non-present centrism, right? It's weird thinking about loss and loss prevention in this framework. And it's really weird when the game that you've used as a reprieve from reality suddenly asks you a question, who are you in the dark? Or, as the game actually puts it, what are you without your light? There is a quote attributed to Trite L. Moody that goes, Character is what you are in the dark. And it's a famous trope. It's this classic scene where the hero is presented with a decision that no one will know about, no one will ever find out about but it still has these mass implications for the hero's morality. It's a question of what we do in locked rooms. It's about what we do when we are left to our own devices. In Destiny 2, when left to our own devices, we become a hero. As we fall from the Cabal flagship, we know that we will rise above the ruins, and from this valiant last stand, we will press on. It gives us the opportunity to be the heroes that we've always wanted to strive for. And the funny thing is, maybe not so funny, but the reality is life doesn't always go like that. Not every descent is coupled by an ascent. Some actions betray us. Some thoughts betray us. I've been thinking a lot about something I once read or heard. And it goes like, what we first think is what we are conditioned to think. What we think next is what we have taught ourselves. And there's always this knee-jerk reaction. There's always this baggage of our past selves. There's the mistakes and failures always threatening to drag us down if we let them. And sometimes we don't rise to the occasion. Sometimes we break away from the past and stumble slowly forward. And sometimes our victory is not in pushing forward, but in not falling behind. Survival is a strange thing, especially when we think that we've lost something, especially when we know that we've lost something. 
And I'm thankful that survival isn't something we have to do alone. It is equally important to note that what we are in the dark doesn't always apply to the rampant moral ambiguity of particular decisions made in the heat of a moment. Oftentimes, it's the things that we do because that's just how we want to define ourselves by. When I remembered about the breakaway today, the literal end of recorded Destiny 1 achievement, I looked back at what I had accomplished. The year 1 moments, the year 2 moments, the year 3 ones, the platinum trophy and the flawless raider that brought my current clan together, the hours and the effort invested into a single game and multiple communities, and I thought about how I had no idea how far this rabbit hole went when I first jumped down it. I remember the hallmarks of Vanilla Destiny, and how much my proudest achievements quickly escalated from silly things like reaching level 32 with Iron Banner gear, or beating Prison of Elders for the first time. Um, to becoming an admin of a clan and successfully navigating King's Fall um, with an LFG group, with my clan, with strangers that I had met once at a convention somewhere. Um, and now I'm a motley captain of a very motley crew and it's, it's very weird still thinking about it. But I also thought about Iron Banner and how it had been a defining part of my career. And I thought about how Iron Banner is how I fell in love with this game. And on August 1st, it will actually be the last Iron Banner of Destiny 1. And nothing about this matters. I have no reason to play Destiny 1 anymore. Um, I have all of the loot I want, all of my characters are transferred over, I get all of the veteran emblems, like there's, there's nothing else I can do really. And yet, I still know that when tomorrow hits, I will dutifully log on and at least complete a couple of matches. Just one game where I pop off in classic control, get the W on my record, a positive KT, and then I'm back in the hell out and wait patiently for Destiny 2. Maybe if my clanmates are on, they could convince me to play another couple rounds, but I'm okay with being done. I'm ready for a change. I'm ready for Destiny 2. But when I mentioned the breakaway to my clan, my buddy's son immediately asked for help in acquiring the last four collectibles he needed to have every single collectible in the game. And this achievement serves even less purpose than what I was talking about, at least from my perspective, right? He'll gain absolutely nothing from having all of these checkboxes more, but that's the type of player he is. Driven by exploration and expanse and collection, he is literally the most hunter I've ever seen hunter, and he'll tell you that I'm probably the most titan he's ever seen titan. And we didn't enter Destiny 1 together, but we entered House of Wolves, The Taken King, The Taken Spring, and Rise of Iron together. We're leaving Destiny 1 together, and we're entering Destiny 2 together. Exotic weapon buddies till the end, right? And this breakaway, this strange date in Destiny 1's history as it transitions to Destiny 2, it's revealed our values. And 
more importantly, it's revealed a loyalty. How even without a direct light, we still find a path about who we are, about what we're about. When I first started this podcast, we started a week before the Destiny 2 beta. And we knew going into this that this was a niche podcast about a singular game. But it was very much rooted in this non-present centrism in the past and in the future. It was about the hours of investment and the prospect of actually communicating and having a dialogue with people about this game that I honestly and earnestly love. And I'm still learning how to do this whole solo content creator thing. It's it's easy, thanks to Anchor, but it's still it's still a struggle. It's still a grind in a lot of ways. But I think we're gonna get there though. And I think a part of that is listener engagement. And if you like what you're hearing, if anything has spoken to you over these last 14 odd episodes, please drop a line, call in. Um, Anchor lets you do that, and it's really cool. Let's continue the conversations that we've been having. So, uh, and thankfully, I do have one active listener who calls in every once in a while. Um, Josh Boyking at Intelligame Radio. We're gonna cut to him right now. Hey, what up, Jim? Just wanted to let you know that episode on leadership was really sharp. I like the idea of connecting the id, the ego, and the superego to different folks in a fire team. I feel like in multiple games where I've had three players, there's been one that kind of runs off and does whatever and is super distracting, and one that's trying to stay focused on the main goal, and another one that's kind of moderating between the two. Anyway, looking forward to Destiny 2, and looking forward to new episodes that you've got coming. I was wondering, if you're not playing Destiny 1, do you have another game that is taking up some of your time? Anyway, thanks a lot. Looking forward to the next set. And, of course, as always, thank you, Josh, for the call-in. And to answer your question, I actually haven't been playing as many video games as of late. I've been using the town time from Destiny 1 to work on a lot of non-Destiny related projects. Uh, grad school's been the number one priority, followed by a novel, followed by this podcast, ironically enough. And I also just think about Destiny 1 and Destiny 2 a lot. The beta was what I played. <laughs> um, and now that the beta's con, it's been trying to do other things. Um, although I did start working through finishing Persona 5, um, I had stopped at around the 5th dungeon and I got back into it, had to figure out what the hell I was doing, and then finished the dungeon with a little bit of struggle, and now I'm in, in the 6th dungeon at, at a key plot point that I won't spoil, because that would be that'd be really weird to spoil for a Persona 5 game on a Destiny 2 podcast, but anyways, that will probably be its own episode in a different in a different month or maybe next month because you know that's tomorrow and time is weird like that um so yeah this is gonna be the start of the 
lost month of Destiny 1, I guess. August does not have any particular meaning anymore. Um, it's a holding period for Destiny 2. And yet, I'm still going to bust out some museum pieces and I'm going to spend some time with my clan and I'm looking forward to it. I've missed hanging out with them and oof, I'm going to be hanging a lot out with them a lot very shortly. So, I hope this could brighten your day, Guardians, and keep your eyes up out there.